Welcome to the Enjoy Holistics latest video podcast. Today we have David McCready, the author of Real Alien Worlds and the Great Simulator series of books. David's The Great Simulator book offers a fascinating perspective into physical reality and the shifting and shifting our awareness and mindset to astrally connect with higher guiding spirits. Recognize and appreciate a special effects team of lower astral beings who are happily providing the drama that you wanted to experience but have simply forgotten. David's experiences have taken him to the astral worlds and beyond, into the non-physical and beyond the human ego or form. He has also experienced other parallel worlds and human civilizations and brought back a wealth of spiritual knowledge to assist others in doing so too. We will touch on many subjects in the show, but endeavor to dig deeper into other subjects in future recordings. So David, I just wanted to um, outline some ideas for today's show. Okay, so in your books, you document your experiences astrally traveling beyond the illusion of the physical world to witness reality actually being a cleverly constructed uh, projection. This is a view also shared from the Hindu concept of Maya, an illusion which makes the physical world appear real and as a duality. In Buddhism, the practitioner is also encouraged to move beyond the drama and master their emotions and reactions in order to become more enlightened. Your experiences and books very much confirm the same style of teachings where the ultimate goal is to master our minds and see the illusion for what it is and not get caught up in the drama and have a light-hearted, childlike, jovial quality. With the world seemingly more divided than ever before and the compelling drama sequence entice us deeper into the illusion, how can spiritual practitioners best navigate through this to reach their highest goals? For example, is the practitioner uh, to use their voices and actions speak against the negativity that's coming, into, coming to the surface right now and possibly get caught up in more drama as tyranny often rises up when good men do nothing? Or does one exercise self-mastery and hold the light here? and work on personal growth to overcome emotions and learn to react to situations from a higher place. This can appear apathetic to some, but maybe the ultimate goal for all souls is to practice self-mastery, where a lifetime is provided once ready to choose to step out of the drama and finally recognise it, whilst other souls are still working through their own karma and hard school of knocks. What's right for one soul isn't going to be right for another. Also in your books, you have met with other higher physical and non-physical races, um, have they also gone through similar experiences to reach a higher state of consciousness and possibly also helping humans at this time to bring more awareness and a higher state of consciousness to the planet? Also, the word delusion may also offend some people as it trivializes our whole reason for being here. And what would you say the purpose is for souls to reincarnate into such experiences? And I understand there's quite a few questions there, so please feel free just to dive in and I'll dig deep with you. Well, let's start on a point. Uh... The work I help with is to help good characters like you experience the answers to all of these things themselves. And what we're trying to do is help many people have their own individual discoveries and understandings of what's going on. So that it's not just one person laying down the law of what it could be, it's everyone able to see the truth for themselves, see the greater reality for themselves. For example, explore what lies beyond this world that you can access via the astral world and see it because it's such an enormous place. There's no one human who can do all of this research on their own. It takes many, many beings to do it. 
So anyway, you laid out a veritable list of stuff, which was sort of reminiscent of that moment when you're a little kid and you go to the examination hall and you have a quick read through the paper that's been set to you and there's pages of stuff. And you're going, where do I start? Uh, so over to you. Where would you like to start amongst that list of stuff? Dive in. Which well, particular I, subject would you like to start with? So really, I'd like to, maybe I'll just start on the first one, really. So, um, you know, the, the concept of the world being an illusion, the Maya. Um, and obviously being an illusion, it almost feels like it's, it takes the whole reason for being here away, you, may, you might say, but also at the same time, what is the purpose for us to be here? Are we here to just create resistance and fight everything and feel like we're heroes trying to save the day? Or is it more really about a personal journey to overcome all that and not really get caught okay. up in it? So there's two questions, illusion and why be in the illusion. That's a great place to start on that one. Uh, when people talk about illusion, uh, what they're really saying is that, in fact, it's something else you're looking at. So, for example, when I'm having this wonderful chat with you, we're operating via video conferencing. Uh, we're looking at a screen system whereby there's an illusion of being in the same room as someone else, but it's been digitally created so that we can hear and see stuff. And if we pay attention, maybe we can even look at each other's auras and energy fields, which are not conveyed via the digital medium, but we'd actually have to sense. And if you start sensing what's going on and picking up people's energies and auras, even though I'm physically looking at a screen that looks like Ian, I'm also looking at an energetic form of Ian that to me sits just slightly behind my little laptop I'm physically seeing him on. Uh, and the energetic Ian, by the way, has a much wilder hair than the physical one right now. He's a bit more like the crazy professor character uh, out of Back to the Future, <laughs> if you right remember here. <laughs> So there are the, these dualities that you spoke of. There's more than one version of things. And what's happening to us is we're experiencing a world where we've got our physical sensations, we're seeing stuff, we're hearing stuff, but most of all, we're thinking, thinking, thinking. And because we're busy thinking and imagining and doing stuff, we're consumed in this sort of small ball of thought and contemplation. And whenever we relax, some people call it like doing meditation, and their awareness starts to expand, you begin to pick up a lot of other things that are going on around you. So, yeah, we're experiencing this world, but there's also things beyond it. And when you see what's beyond it and look back at this one, it looks like you're playing in a sort of computer game. It looks like you're in a sort of artificial reality that someone's dreamt up kind of amusement in many ways. So this is what we mean by illusion. When you look back at what's going on, the world we're experiencing doesn't look physical anymore. It looks like an energetically engineered system, rather in the same way, again, that a computer game can engineer an energetic reality using little electrons and processing systems and then you can look at it on a screen and look at light waves so a computer game will generate its own artificial reality because someone thought that would be a fun world to experience and when you 
go onto the astral world and look back at what's going on with us, you see something that's got rather a lot of similarities. It too has been generated and engineered. So we're looking back on it. What thoughts on this bit of the illusion idea? <laughs> so so, so that could brings up a question is who's creating the illusion from the astral what 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 comes first the astral or the physical or is there like a, a marry symbiotic relationship between the two well when you go hunting for this you'd actually get to the point of uh the astral would come before the physical in that our physical world is an aspect a little zone within the astral world and the astral world seems to have been generated from a point of singularity or tiny, tiny oneness that somehow created the illusion of expanding itself to an enormous size. So that's what you'll tend to find. There's a sort of tiny little sort of oneness thing, but it's made itself look very big. And so we see this sort of huge astral world. It's People call it like a spirit world. It would include places like human heavens. And within this whole thing, there are illusory worlds created, such as the Earth illusion, or simulation of what an Earth would be like were it actually real and physical. I see. So the, the Earth really is just an idea, a pretend notion that what would an Earth-like planet be like if it was real and these people yeah. really did exist? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Do you, are you enjoying the ride? Yes. <laughs> so, so that means we, we sort of come in to, 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 it's almost like a holiday in a sense then. We, we come in to have a little play, to get, let our hair down and experience what it'd be like to be these people. Um, and then obviously yes. these experiences are, are these experiences for us to enjoy, to experience, or is there ultimately these experiences going up higher to say like a source, like, god or something is it ultimately a god that wants to experience these well you're sort of picking up the bigger nature to it the purpose of what's going on when you do go looking to what we are you find there is an energetic presence and it's all wonderful and full of unconditional love and it's really nice but it's a bit boring as well and after a few seconds of looking at all this one you tend to get a bit bored of it uh, and say you know i want a bit of fun what can we play with because the real one of us seems to be a highly creative entity loves creating stuff loves doing things trying stuff out uh, and we're all extensions of that one being. So, like David and Ian are extensions of that one being saying, well, what would happen if I created two different people and how would they interact? What would they do? And then David and Ian sit there and they send feedback back to their creator that mostly looks like I'm caught in the illusion and I have a hard life a lot of the time. I have to get from one place, I have to go to another place people nice to me or not nice to me and most of the time these beings are sending back a feedback of i'm caught in an illusion but now and again they notice what's going on and they look back at what's created them and are able to describe it and if anything admire the genius of what you really are so that's what you're actually doing a lot of illusion but occasionally noticing what you actually are so is that the ultimate goal for all people or souls that are here is to recognize that and i mean is what's the purpose of multiple lifetimes is the ultimate goal to 
get to the point of recognizing the illusion. Um, because obviously there's other different realities. So we're in like a third, you know, with time. But then there's obviously there could be other realities that are in a higher aspect where perhaps they already know they're in illusion. They know they're in illusion. But the nearer you are to the source of what you are, the nearer you are to that oneness and the truth of what you are, bizarrely, the harder it is to see yourself. So to see yourself better, there is some advantage in becoming something that looks completely different and even believes itself to be completely separated. Yeah. So that you can have wonderful characters uh, on Earth, like Richard Dawkins, who can happily write uh, very interesting books and get a great following, uh, running the premise that there is no God, it's all a load of nonsense, and don't buy into that crap. You're going to get <laughs> knocked over by you know. You can get to the stage where that's a perfectly valid opinion, and you can do that. So we can experience bodies that lock us in and so disconnect us from what we are that when we do eventually see ourselves, it's, it's done afresh. It's, it's wonderful. So as, as a thought experiment, imagine that I, I or you uh, is Richard Dawkins right now. And we've lived this life um, with this idea that there is no, nothing more than the physical reality. What, what, would, what do you think he would experience when he stepped back over the vow and, and, and was all back into the higher self? Would, would he say, oh, actually, I was meant, that was an idea that I was meant to do? Or would he think, oh, my God, I really screwed up this time? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we can speculate here for a moment. Um, based uh, upon where others have uh, gone before us. And I could say, and some of my early work i did more book reading on this i did a bit of research i don't do it that way so much now i do a lot of just first-hand exploration but in the early book reading uh, was a little book from someone who'd gone to the heavens and had gone the kind of oh dear oh i think i might have uh, sort of messed up here and he worked as a spirit being to link back with Earth and get someone to type up a book with him of what it was like to pass on to the other side. And what he described was the low astral. And his experience was one of uh, firstly dying and finding himself in a weird low-level world you could equate to purgatory. And eventually some guiding spirits managed to come and rescue him grab him by the scruff of the neck and drag him out of what equated to a sort of swamp world with strange lower spirit forms teasing him. And they took him to a sort of human-like city <laughs> and then started to re-educate him. And in this sort of human-like city, they had a hospital uh, where the new arrivals would come. And because everyone there was relating themselves as a human, they had to deal with it in a human way. You could ultimately get beyond this human world uh, and go off and visit more non-physical realms. So, for example, at one point he got visited uh, by 
he realized it was what he thought was his mom. But she was living in a non-physical realm, but coming back to something that looked like a spiritual physical body to say hello to a son who was in hospital. And as far as the doctors there uh, thought, he was a suicide patient because he'd drunk himself to death over years. He didn't think he was a suicide patient. He just thought uh, drinking himself to death was normal. But as far as they were concerned, <laughs> that was suicidal. And in the hospital, there were other people who were refusing to wake up. And they sort of had the equivalent of their eyes shut, going, no, go away, I'm dead, that's the end. <laughs> that's dead, I'm the end. And when we're saying about Richard Dawkins, he's someone who will have the adventure of awakening somewhere else from this earthly life. But at first, potentially wanting to deny it. But the one thing in his favor is uh, he's a sufficiently curious character. He's more likely to wake up quickly than slowly because he'll want to know. If he does see something, he's got a curious personality and energy form. So he'll probably be all right. <laughs> It'd be people who read his books and really took it to heart who are going to have the tougher time if you just want to speculate on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think I read that book. That's not a foreign book, is it? Uh, it was written in Spanish initially, was it? Could have been. Could have been. Was he a doctor? He wasn't a doctor, was he? Yeah, that was him. Um, yeah. yeah. There you go. Very interesting. I think they made a film from it as well. You, I think you can it's actually watch it. The Astral City or something yeah. like that was the, the title the, of it. There's a Spanish-speaking film based on that as well. It's actually really good. I was really yeah. impressed with it. The whole idea of it was caught really well. They really did a good job yeah. of it. So, yeah. so there we go. If anyone wants to do yeah. some other uh, reading, it's a wonderful book. So it gives you a description of a lower astral level that is a sort of re-education zone of when you come out of this life where you can gradually let go of the illusion that you've been a human because you yeah. tend to be clinging to it a bit when you come out of it. <laughs> so, so my next question really is that you know, a lot of people that may be still in, in sort of invested in the illusion um may not necessarily have uh well i'd say a lot of people think they've woken up um but you know like when you wake up um there's there's a school of thought that you kind of want to fight the system uh to try and bring peace on earth if you like um but then obviously when you but when you look at the sort of buddhist teachings and the whole maya thing that that's really doesn't seem to be the way at all it seems that you're you're better off just being still and calm while everyone else is kind of in the drama. You just want to be centered and still and work on your own spirituality and, and learn to know yourself, if you like. Yes. Um, and so obviously getting caught in the drama is, is detrimental because you're just creating more resistance and potentially more karma. So how, how do you see that? Well, here's the first point. The, there is a, a belief knocking around that there should be peace on earth. Uh, but I don't know, where did, did that come from? I mean, what's the evidence that there should be peace on earth? <laughs> should, I mean, <laughs> where did that come from? <laughs> Who said that? I think the it, it's, it, it's the origin, maybe the Bible. I mean, they talk about the meek shall inherit the earth and a thousand years of peace and all this kind of stuff. Is there kind of that, that storyline? If you think about the the Earth is an illusionary zone. It's inhabited by beings who want to come here and experience what the Earth has to offer. 
Now, the fact we have made it to the Earth in a slightly chaotic zone means that we obviously wanted to experience that. It doesn't necessarily mean that we want to keep it in a chaotic zone, and we probably want to bring some sort of peace and more harmony to it. But we'd certainly wanted to climb into it and have that experience. And this also brings us to a very fundamental thing that's going on on Earth. Because we wanted to come down here, and I'll just sort of say, from an astral perspective, this is a very low vibration world. This seems to be a marginal world. It's so low vibration that it's really tricky to snap out of what's going on. And I'll speak about it a, a bit more, but just go with the initial idea. Very low vibration, very tricky place to deal with, but quite fun. It's rather like uh, the Americans would say, going to the Super Bowl, they're playing top league now. So you come down to Earth, and to get down to this level requires an enormous amount of input. You've really got to squash yourself down to get here. And so powerful is the intent to get to a low level that once you've arrived, a lot of characters just don't want to snap out of it. They've forgotten that they actually wanted to snap out of it afterwards. So intent were they on getting down, like someone diving down into the deep ocean and getting to the lowest possible point they can reach. They don't want to let go, so they're quite intent on staying at a low level. So here we are walking around with a powerful intent to be a bit blocked up, to be a bit lost. Uh, and for that reason, what we're doing is telling people to snap out of it uh, when actually a lot of them don't even realize they might want to. They're still convinced they want to be at a low level and getting on with it, and they're into the hamster wheel of life very intently. I mean, how do you find people who are in that state? Well, I, well, I kind of, for me, I compare it to astral world. So whenever I've, I've gone into the lower astral um, and you meet these kind of dream figures and, you know, you walk up to them and they just make no sense whatsoever. You know, you, you try and have a conversation with them and they just look you in the eye and completely dumbfounded, like, who the heck are you trying to talk to me? <laughs> You know, and I, the first thing I, I, the mistake I made early on is I used to say to them, are you dead? And they just look at me like, <laughs> I'm not dead. And I say, well, you know, do you, do you realize where you are now? You know, like I'm from Earth, I'm still conscious. I'm on Earth and I'm conscious here now. And they just, most of them just look at me in a completely dumbfounded way and almost like they're still asleep there. Yes. And you get the same reaction here if you talk to people on a spiritual level. Um, they give that same kind of look. It doesn't seem uh, to change. Well, and so we realize this simple thing. A lot of soul beings have come here in order to experience being asleep. And if you go and beat them across the head and try and punch mm -hmm. them out of it, they're not going to look very happy about that. <laughs> They've come here to have a nice little sort of nap in the illusion, fall asleep in the illusion. Uh, for many of them, they just don't want to be awoken from it right now. It would be very mean to force them out of it unless they <laughs> offer you some sort of invitation to help them out. <laughs> so, I mean, my next question on that is that the idea of free will. So, is free will, I mean, if, if you're asleep in the illusion, does free will really exist or are, the, are you kind of operating on an auto mode of the will of karma and the winds of change, if you like? And does free will really only come about if you're an awakened? person and you really have a choice well let's have a, a look at the bigger picture first so we can broaden our 
conceptual understanding of this. The, the real you is a creative entity. It's one who's generated stuff and thought, wouldn't it be fun to create something like the Ian being or the David being or whoever else is listening in? And to create them, uh, a bit like a character in a computer game, it's created a series of algorithms or little programs that make that person run. Now, what you then experience of one of these bodies is it has various feelings and desires and intentions. And it weighs up these feelings, desires, and intentions and makes decisions based upon them. These little beings you're experiencing therefore think they have some sort of free will, uh, but in fact, they're just working within the program that they've been given from the outset. And they respond in a very programmed robotic way. So they think, what do I do next? They think, well, what does my feelings and sensations tell me? Whatever feelings and sensations they have instructs them on what to do next. When they have an idea, they rarely question where the idea has come from. So if you take a being that believes itself to be real and it thinks it's got its own free will, whenever you pop an idea into its head, it thinks that idea is its own. It identifies my idea. I was very clever. I came up all on my own because I'm a really clever little character here. I have my own ideas and I don't ask where they came from. I just think they're all me because I'm very clever and I create my own ideas in my own little space. <laughs> so if you look at this sort of dynamic from the outside, you can see a sort of robotic being and you can just drop little ideas and new notions in its head and it'll respond because <laughs> it doesn't really see beyond that. Now to have a real free will, that little robotic being has then got to start to notice what has generated it and start to interact with it at a higher level. And it can then become connected to the free will decision-making process. It can become a part of it. <laughs> and in a funny way, the little robotic human character is being asked what its opinion is, its creative input is being sought so it can be incorporated into the whole system when it wants to be a part of it. Does that make some sense as I describe yeah, this? Yeah, it does, yeah. It does indeed. Okay. So, I mean, so, so basically, I mean, the, the questions I was asking really, so um, at some point in the, the character's life of, of being in the illusion is to become self-aware, but that programming might not always be there. You know, obviously there's probably lifetimes where the idea is more something else to overcome maybe bravery or courage or something or overcome some other personal thing but at some point in the evolution of that aspect of the soul or the you know higher self wants to come in and uh encourage the self-mastery part of it you know and what you're realizing is it may take many lifetimes of building up these bits of character and personality aspects to develop and tune them where they can function at this very low earthly level. And then when they combine, they can manifest some self-awareness. It might take some building up of them. Because a lovely thing to realize is we often think we're at a sort of low level and if we get very, very smart, we can get ourselves to a higher level and live in a better world. That's many people's objective. 
when you go looking on the astral world, it looks like everything's completely the other way around. It looks more like you've been living uh, lives on more advanced worlds. We're a very clever being, demonstrating self-mastery. And then one day you say, you know what, I'd like to try it at a lower level. Let's crank up the game level and go down to a lower level and see if I can do it at that lower level. So you go down to a lower level and then you start to rebuild these personality aspects and get them all functional and get them up and running. And after a number of tries, after a number of lifetimes, you start to develop a being that can be self-aware despite being at an extremely low dimension. Isn't that fun? You're doing well. You're even having this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) That that, that answers my question. So, you know, that that kind of brings light to the whole reason for being, you know, and, uh, you know, I think too many people compare themselves to others and, you know, why they're here. And no two aspects, souls are going to be the same. And, um, you know, because... It's, it's trying to understand where I, where I am at the moment. It, it feels like I just want to know more about the whole reason for being like the higher self, um, um, trying to gain self-mastery and, and trying to understand, trying not to be here. When you say self-mastery, what do you mean? Well, master the mind. So not be such a victim of the mind, being controlled, um, react to things in a better way. So if things come up, don't react in a negative way, try and look at everything from a higher aspect, from a higher self perspective, um, learn to sort of master the emotions, that, that kind of thing. Because I think people make bad choices when they, they let their emotions. Because when you say we have to master the emotions, yeah. it really clenches your energy system. So it's like we're onto a good idea, but perhaps we've got a, a slightly distorted understanding of it. And just sitting there, try and breathe a little bit better. Because here's one of the things I think we mentioned in a previous chat, and that is when we're connecting to the truth, uh, one effect of that is we can start to breathe properly again. Because down here in this part of our bodies, around the solar plexus area, we're sensing a lot of data. Uh, Before we getting on this call, we were joking about how dogs are able to sense a lot of these things and tell who's coming home long before they've even got into the street because they're sensing these things much better than us because they're thinking less. And when you were thinking the concept of self-mastery, which is I've I've got to control it all, uh, that was making you tense up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> clearly I've mastered it <laughs> no. that's Don't the great you... thing you know. so to be humbled is the, is the most amazing <laughs> lesson anyway because uh, oh, humility yeah. is very important yeah. because if you get caught up in the ego you've created for your human form if you get lost in that uh well <laughs> good luck <laughs> so, so give us your definition of that well how do you see that whole so, process? so let's see let's see so if you're a higher being you're a higher being you've created the illusory Ian body, which is actually made up of many, many component little beings. Uh, sometimes what we'd say is they're made up of a lot of little lower spirit characters, and you put them all together. Just to give you a bit of define what we mean by the lower spirits. Uh, for anyone who's enjoyed sex, 
that's a good example of playing with some nymph spirit characters who are able to give you all sorts of sexual fantasies and thoughts so that when someone's fiddling around with your private bits, it feels nice. They create some nice feeling, nice association, and that's how we make sure that more humans get born in this world because we've moved slightly beyond some of the basic feelings. That will be done for lower spirit form. Those spirit forms also help you do things like get to work if you're a commuter. They get you to the station. They help create the memories of how to get on the right train. Swipe in your little oyster card so you go get fined on the journey. They create a lot of little lower stuff like that, generating the thoughts. And it's like the language in your head that's going on. And they're doing that job. And when people talk about self-mastery as they're going to control themselves, it's rather like this team trying to create a self-control system, a bit like a slightly chaotic democracy. They're going to vote and decide things amongst themselves. And that seems awfully, awfully hard. Uh, the alternative to this is to start noticing what you are. And when you connect to that higher energy of what you are, you can bring in that oversight and that higher guidance and the little lower spirit forms you're employing to create your human illusion will enjoy connecting into that as we're speaking about it you can feel how they like the unconditional love they like the energy of it and it's now not about having to control it it's all about what games would we like to play no one's being forced into doing anything. It's a case of what would it be fun to do? What would be enjoyable for everyone? What's the feeling of this as we connect into it like? Well, I mean, the, the idea of it feels a lot lighter. You know, it feels like yeah. just, uh, you, you're just giving away, not giving away, but you're kind of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You're kind of just accepting or surrendering. So surrendering is probably a better word, isn't it? Well, we don't need surrender. No. It's not lie down and take me, you know. <laughs> but it's just allowing the flow, I guess, rather than trying to force it, if you know what I mean. Yes. I guess because of you know, I have a very analytical mind, you know, I do a lot of IT work, and uh, so I kind of, I do tend to overanalyze. And probably one of the reasons why I got into meditation was that I used, before I was really into the spiritual thing, I just used to analyze everything you know, yeah. logically, as, a, as like a computer programmer. And it, it used to drive me nuts. You know, I felt like I didn't have a spare moment in my head. Um, yeah. I guess that's one aspect of trying to overcome that busy mind and just use the, the mind as a tool when I need it rather than to... Yeah. So perhaps that is not to overcome it, but to get it doing good teamwork. So yeah. that the being you've got will choose to connect you don't have to force it to you can allow it to choose to do it because that produces a better arrangement gotcha it actually has that free choice and doesn't that feel easier and less stressful <laughs> it does i'd have, I'd have to pr practice it more often um, but uh yes yeah, so it's just understanding the definition isn't it and then how how best to practice and uh and, you know, I get tripped up quite a lot. Obviously, I'm not, I'm not perfect for any stress. I feel like I'm on a... I'm just saying I. I, Ian. You're referring to. <laughs> not in any sense whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> you're not Ian. You're experiencing yeah. being yeah. Ian. There yeah. is a difference. <laughs> this way, I mean, talk, yeah. You know, you're so, going to drop dead one. Ian body will drop dead one day, and so, then you'll so be happens, having the experience of not being Ian. So, so what happens then? So what happens? I mean, okay, the way I see it, Ian sees it. Okay. So when I've been when I've been in the astral, uh, so I, I I went to a place in the astral where there were humans that had lived on earth and they hadn't been over long and they still had their earthly personalities and they were jovial and talked about their experiences and told me how they died and stuff like that but they very much still had that very strong ego personality from their physical life so in a kind of it seemed like almost like linear although linear well, it isn't true, but it seemed like they had a life on Earth and now they were in the astral. They're in this place that looked like an Italian holiday resort. They were really enjoying themselves there. But I imagine at some point those aspects, those personalities would absorb back into a, the higher self. But at this point, they still needed to experience the, des- the desire world of being a human. Yeah. Yes, because that's what uh, that the association was. It's I'm a human, so I've got to operate as a human. I've got to live as a human. Uh, but anyone who pays attention and looks through the top of their head uh, can see that you're really a light being. Yeah, yeah. So really, you can skip all that. Well, so I mean, basically, you can skip those holiday resort astral levels. You don't yeah. need to go there. You can just skip that and go straight back to the higher aspect yeah. of yourself. Yeah, it, but also uh, realize what's going on is this human form you're seeing, it's a construction. There are multiple things that are being squashed together, a bit like they're in a compactor. Uh, when someone dies, it's like the compactor releases its spring-like pressure and everything flies apart. So you end up with lots of different bits and pieces of personality aspects and they go floating away and they can go off and live different lifetimes elsewhere. So for example, if you're remembering past lives, you will find little chunks of life, but often not a whole life, because a personality aspect that's being in right now will have lived elsewhere and had many lifetimes. And when you see this thing of going to the heavens, what you're often seeing are the personality aspects splitting off and going their own ways, and the higher aspects then separate out, and the different personality aspects are left where they're comfortable. And then when the higher part of you wants to create another lifetime, it starts to come down and pull a new collection of these bods together, uses some old ones, brings in a couple of new team players, and squeezes it all back down into the illusion of a human form again. And how does that work in time? So there's no time, is there? So we have to explain this in a linear fashion, but it's not like that at all, is it? Yes. And that's, by the way, uh, something that uh, puzzled another uh, great thinker of uh, when we're sitting, uh, Stephen Hawkins, (laughs) I was thinking that sounded like Richard Dawkins, but not quite. <laughs> uh, Stephen Hawkins, great, amazing mind, uh, completely incapacitated body, you know, uh, just uh, only left with sort of two functions, blinking and reproductive capacity. <laughs> Could make babies all blink, which was enough to operate a computer system. <laughs> that was what was left. Great mind. And what he was saying is, uh, there can't really be an after 
world because he realized there'd be no time there. So he thought, well, therefore, if there's no time, it can't be there. That's it. End of story. Uh, but what we do find is that, in fact, there is something and it does operate in timelessness. So there is something else and it operates in a timeless way where all the moments seem to be stuck together. But what we've got is like someone stretched out all these moments into a nice sort of linear film where you can experience it one to another, one to another. It all seems to work in sequence. So that's what we're experiencing, many moments strung together. Whereas if you sort of go back to the greater reality, they all pile up into a big ball. So that's what it's like when you go flying. Yeah, yeah. And it's very hard to... It just seems infinite, the astral. I think in some respects, some, I found places that were, seemed like consensus realities that were holding together almost like the physical, but other places that would just come up based on your intention. Well, let's just add another doubt. The astral world is not a fixed entity. So if someone tried to create a Google map or in the old days an A to Z map of the whole thing and put in little street names and corners and colour it nicely so you could figure it all out, uh, you're on a hiding to failure if you try to do that one <laughs> because the astral world is uh, inventing and growing as we speak. So it's actually, if anything, getting bigger because beings like us a part of the process that keeps adding to it. So you keep ending up with more and more astral worlds. So it's a dynamic thing. It's sort of very motion. It tends to be operating and growing. So yeah. trying to map that is not going to be easy. And also writing. Uh, you can, you, I cannot look at writing in the astral world. It seems to change every time you look at it. You look away, you look back at it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what well, that is. Well, that's because you're looking at living energies of ideas. And if you're translating it back into text and you produce a very interesting translation of what it might be, uh, the next time you have a look at it, perhaps there's a more interesting translation. And that would cause things to evolve and develop as you go. So that you're looking at living energies and trying to make them conform to some sort of written Roman numerals. <laughs> so I mean, tell us about some experiences you've had on, you know, where you've, you've met other beings that maybe are in other higher physical uh, realms to us. What's, what's life like there compared to here? Have you got any experiences you can share? More settled and at the same time also quite uh, fun. You can find roughly two categories of uh, higher beings on the astral. So the very non-physical one really is sort of orbs of shimmering light, uh, but often for convenience they dress themselves up in sort of a vaguely human appearance. Sometimes you think perhaps they look more like sort of alien-looking bodies or something more human. It doesn't really matter. That's one category. And then the second category of beings are ones who are also manifesting lives on other planets, on other worlds. And a very interesting character came across a couple of years ago, we often referred to as the experienced architect girl. She looks like a very uh, young woman whose job is to create more virtual reality worlds. That's her activity in life. When you get to know her and have a chat with her, she'll explain that in terms of sort of earthly years, uh, her combined age is greater than that of Ian and David 
together, but because she's not very judgmental, she's managed to do away with all the wrinkle lines and stuff like that and looks extremely young. <laughs> so she looks like someone in her late teens <laughs> compared to us, even though in our years she's well over a hundred. <laughs> so, so, so her job is to create what essentially we're in now or other yeah, sort and, of astrals. Yeah. yeah, and she finds it really fun uh, studying us and doing little experiments in our reality because she then draws from that to create further artificial realities people can play with further simulations mm. so she's a, a great character to hang out with and if you wanted to meet up with her all you've literally got to do is realize she's about uh, as close to your idea of surrendering as we sort of dare to mention. It's almost like let her take control of your body for a minute and slow down the breathing and bring up your awareness. And you'd start to get an impression of what she's like and what she's up to. And she's one of many characters who will actually help us out because these other beings like to come through to our world because as far as she's concerned, we're one of her mates who's gone through to a very low world. So what you then bump into are beings who are much more together and for the ones who've decided to uh, manifest also on physical worlds, you'll see better organized physical worlds. You'll start to see places where uh, people eat food in a healthier way. You'd eat plants that have accepted that they want to be eaten by human forms. Uh, eating animals it's not unheard of. There's some ones where they do to animals, but there's less of it. <laughs> so there's not a ban on eating other things because you've got to eat something to keep the consuming mechanism work. If anyone dies, don't burn the bodies. They often just leave them out in nature. The old body gets absorbed back into nature. <laughs> and there's this whole cycle of systems working. And then for fun, they start knocking up worlds like this. That's one of the activities they get into because it looks like a great game. Yeah. Uh, and I got a little email uh, from someone just recently uh, who was a little bit disturbed by the memories of being in better places and then coming into this world because this world is so chaotic. It's very hard to sort of balance with it. Uh, but she had picked up the memories of how in some more advanced worlds there were people sat around what looked like tables connecting into what we'd be understanding as a sort of visualization device so you could connect into an alternative reality and she said people were almost sucked into it on these other worlds because these alternative realities were so powerful uh, and well here we have uh, hanging out with our friend the experienced architect girl whose work is to create realities that are extremely compelling and would suck you in and if you look at her office you'd see that she has a sort of table-like visualization device where you can create these things look into them and manipulate them and build them so that's an example mm. of what it's like when you go visiting <laughs> amazing amazing I've heard, I've heard similar stories that i heard of a guy who was in peru and he was he's very well connected to the, the, the native Peruvians there and they knew of a portal uh, in the mountains in, in a rock face and the only way to use the portal was through vibration uh, some kind of tone they had to uh, use and put a hand in the rock 
And he mentioned that when you go up to it, you have to, not many people, not, no one really knows about the pools apart from the locals, but you have to go up with an intention. And then when you say the intention, you're transported through the portal. And yeah. this is going to sound really bonkers. Um, but what he said happened was he, he'd done this series of times and his intention was to meet the creator. <laughs> <laughs> and, and obviously maybe his intention wasn't, uh, you know, very, wasn't specific enough because he could have been the creator of the portal. I don't know. But anyway, he found himself suddenly, um, whether it was out of body or physically, he was flying through space. He could see all the stars and the planets zooming by and everything. Um, and then it got faster and faster and faster. And eventually he just, he just appeared in this completely white room um, with nobody there. It just seemed like an endless <laughs> white room. Looking around thinking, where am I? And then this voice came from nowhere and it was another human just saying, well, you, you said you wanted to meet the creator. And I'm, I'm the creator. And it wasn't a god or anything. It was, it was basically another, another being had created this whether it was the universe or created this portal and and that was it and he got his answer he was it it was him <laughs> <laughs> and then after that he was he was shot back and then he appeared back at, you know by the side of the, the mountain but so what is what you're saying is his body would have stayed where it was but his consciousness was like a little bit of fluff sucked up in a hoover back yeah, I don't know the full the full story. Whether it was his uh, astral body that was sucked, or whether it's him physically, I, I don't know that part of it. I can only imagine it's perhaps his astral body. Yeah, it, yeah. his consciousness yeah. would have been sort of mm. pulled in. And it, it, there's another way of looking at the story. Supposing at some higher level, it was thought, you know what, I want to have a look at myself. So I'll give my body on Earth the idea it wants to go and meet the Creator. And then it'll get on with it. And I've set up a nice little rock with all the right energies there. And we just have to get the local natives to get my physical body there, uh, synchronize, and I can give it that experience. And then it'll see me. And I can go, hi there. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? So, so basically, this, I mean, what I've come to the conclusion from this, uh, from this show, really, is that there's no point getting caught up in the drama at all. And then, and really, well, well, if we didn't want to have the drama, it wouldn't have manifested. So maybe we wanted to have the drama, uh, but you're saying there's no point. What about there's no point in lingering in the drama? Once you engage with it, you don't necessarily need it to persist for many lifetimes before you snap out of it. What about snapping out of it sooner rather than later? So you could embrace the drama and treat it as your own entertaining creation and then enjoy it and link into it. Use it as a, a launch pad. Because people say, this idea that you shouldn't get caught up in the drama seems fundamentally wrong because why else would you have ended up in it? <laughs> Unless the, the goal was to overcome it. Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, it's overcome word you're getting <laughs> into. Or find it, or, or recognize it, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, recognize it. Come on. Yeah, yeah. What would be a gentler word that you can breathe through? 
breathe maybe, and be able to say it. Maybe to become aware. Yeah. Maybe aware. Awareness. Yeah. Awareness. Become aware in the midst of mm. the drama. That's quite tricky. Waking up in the midst mm. of chaos. Yeah. That is a quite a little exercise to do. Can you breathe through yeah. that happily? Is that a better mm. translation? It is. I mean, but maybe it's similar to the astral day. You know, like when you when people go to sleep at night and they're dreaming, um, people are they're, they're sort of leaving. They're in the astral, aren't they? But yes, then, you but are. they're but they're fast asleep. They're not conscious at all. Yeah. So, is it maybe if you want to if you want to look at what your lower spirit forms are made of and what they're mm. like, uh, you can see them operating and dream worlds really rather well. Uh, you'll notice a couple of things. The first one is they're set up to make sense of everything. So no matter how bonkers your dream is, the little lower spirit forms there will try and make it seem sensible and normal uh, and structure it all for you. Because you are actually during the day having an experience that's completely bonkers, but you're programmed to make sense of it and think it's real and hold yourself in. So in dream worlds, you'll see that behavior. And the next thing is in dream worlds, you'll find most of your higher aspects have gone missing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the little lower aspects who are trying to cope with stuff. Uh, so, for example, myself and other people who do this uh, sort of work, in our dreams, we rarely do anything amazing on a higher level. Most dreams are about coping with things. For example, coping getting to work. Uh, so, for example, one person I work with, he says a lot of his dreams are about dealing with airport departure lounges. <laughs> That's what it's like for this lower team. They've got to get that body, that piece of kit from A to B. That's what it's like for a lot of the lower spirit elements. And in the dream worlds, they just go through various things and anxieties that have arisen and just trying to cope with stuff. Does that make some sense? As I just it, it does. Way? It does. Yeah, it does. I mean, I remember asking uh, an astral being what his purpose was. And it gave his answer was it was it was it, it, to look at it because I became conscious I became conscious so I was able to, to ask this aspect you know why why are you here sort of thing and it was something really trivial it was like just to just to overcome some emotion and you, but you physically you would never have said that you wouldn't have looked at it and said you represent yeah. this emotion at all um, but if I'd have been asleep in the dream it just been a normal character wandering around. Um, but because yeah. I came awake, it was able to tell me what it was. But it was so insignificant. <laughs> <laughs> Some that... specialist to deal with a little challenge, like of yeah, uh, yeah. no wisdom you know. at all. It's just this was just manifesting yeah. for a particular reason, and I managed to catch it and ask it. It's like he's performing <laughs> a function. Mm. So we are experiencing bodies that are a big collection of little things that perform functions. That's what you're experiencing right now. And if we're warm towards them and see as them as the most amazing team you've put together just to perform a lot of functions, you'll find they're much more appreciated and you can breathe when you do this. If you can breathe in a happy, smiley way, you're on the right track. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, so I, I think I've covered everything today. I mean, is there, is there anything? Oh, actually, there's something you did mention. I found what was really interesting was the, you know, during the whole lockdown, um, you was mentioning that 
the energy that you're feeling. Um, so let's get into lockdown because when this was recorded, let's say it's uh, sort of getting towards the end of July 2000. Um, uh, we've gone through the initial uh, stage of the coronavirus where people were all afraid and hiding away in their homes. And eventually the government responded to say, yes, we give you permission to all hide in your homes, uh, which had the effect of slowing down the rate at which people would catch coronavirus. Some would die, most would get natural immunity and live. And here we were living through this bizarre thing where some people thought you could completely avoid the coronavirus by hiding away for long enough. Uh, no, that's not really the case because it will be around until everyone's been exposed to it and you either die or live. It's as binary a choice as that. Most people will live and that's that. But it also had a secondary effect. And from a historical perspective, we'll be able to look back at this. So I'd almost like to see this from catching a moment in history, but sort of looking back on what happened. And many people had not been enjoying their jobs. They were going to work and they were doing it in order to make enough money, pay the mortgage, pay the rent, whatever it was. They were doing their job in order to survive, but they weren't terribly happy. And then when it was announced that lots of people could stay home on furlough and do very little and watch Netflix more of the day and things like that, uh, they thought this was brilliant. <laughs> many, many people were much happier going on furlough and not going to work or even just working from home and staying away from the office. And in the back of their minds, they now had time to reflect on what did they really want to do in life. So around about the points of July 2002, the suggestion was you had to go back to work to keep the economy running. And lots of people thought they really didn't want to. And this had the effect that maybe they wanted to do something else in life, but they didn't know what. And also, they were starting to connect to a lot of energy of wanting to do something more fun. So we'd see a bizarre effect of people both wanting to change career, and at the same time, a lot of people looking apparently a bit lazy, but actually they were trying to reconnect with what excited them, what was fun. They were reattuning themselves to the idea of excitement. And it's quite fun when I, I'm sort of talking to the sort of in character. He at this moment is going through the moment of, yes, what does he find exciting? He's doing it like a sort of calculation process in his mind right now, instead of just seeing if he can sort of feel breathing through his body. What does, what's exciting? Answer this Whoa. question. What's exciting Whoa. and fun? No, the, re the reason that I'm, I'm thinking of this, because uh, as I mentioned earlier, I went through a similar experience with a sabbatical, <laughs> uh, probably back in 2000 and five or six or seven, I can't remember. And I had the same thing. I had three months off work, paid, and I got bored very quickly in the, in the first two weeks and ended up sitting there writing a shopping cart software. <laughs> and I thought, brilliant. Now, I can write this shopping cart software and give up my job. And of course, I got to the end of the sabbatical and end up going back to work. But it really made me evaluate my life. And actually, I went back to work for about two months and quit. And so there you go. So carry on. <laughs> so yeah, so you're connecting into an energy of wanting to do things that were fun and exciting. And you're asking also earlier about life on more advanced worlds. Well, on more advanced worlds, they've got all the basic functions sorted out. So 
They got machines to do all the basic jobs. And then what's it left for people to do? Well, do things that are they find exciting, that they find fun. And this is what we're learning how to do right now. We're learning how to do the things we enjoy instead of spending all day caught up in a belief system saying we have to do things that we don't like. So we're relearning how to do stuff that's fun and enjoyable. And we're going through the sort of like pains of this, but yes, we're getting there. And I'd like to give you a, a major understanding of something that'll help you discover what it is you enjoy. And that is, if you see yourself as a human on your own, you're designed to run into a few obstacles. And that's because you're not on your own doing this. There's, in fact, a team operation. You see, you're like the deep-sea diver or an astronaut who's gone to a faraway place, in this case, very low dimension. And there's a whole team working with you. There's not just you on your own, but it's what does the team want to do because they've got this body that they've managed to create at a very low dimension world. And the team would also like to come through and share the body. And in this whole understanding, I'd like to give you a new concept, which is called subcriticality. So a critical mass of something is when you put enough of it together, it can go boom, and it can do all its own thing. It can be really fun. On more advanced worlds, you have critical masses. We can almost do things a little bit on your own. But when we go to a subcritical state, you can't really function in isolation anymore. You need your team to help you out. So when we're breathing through, realize, for example, there's a whole team of guiding spirits helping you out. And maybe there's some friends on other worlds who are there to help you out. And when you think, well, what would the bigger version be? What would the team members like to get up to? This will give you a much better understanding of what to do. Instead of saying, what do I want to do in a little ball? See it as a much bigger and wider thing as a team of beings who've created some amazing human forms, you know, the human form who's watching this video recording today, what is a greater team? What would they like to do with the body that they've created and enabled? Because it is a team effort. And as I said, it's a subcritical world where there's not enough critical mass for one little pocket or something to do it or so. It becomes a team effort. What does it feel like to just recognize there is a greater team operating in? It feels like um, you're, you're not on your own, but you're not, um, I guess you're not just responsible for everything that happens in a way. Like there's a, well, when, you, when you're in a team, you feel like that you're supported, don't you? I think that's the main thing. You yes. feel like you've got support around you. Yes. And that support was always there. So if people are having these conversations, what's fun and what's enjoyable, well, let's share some opinions on that. So I guess some people would look at that as, uh, a, a, not, well, some people might say angels, some people might say spirit guides, some people yeah, play yeah, higher self, yeah. other people say other beings and other planets. If you read the Dolores yeah, yeah, Cannon yeah. books, you, you certainly... Maybe, there's, maybe you know, it's a combination of all of them. Yeah, yeah. And like, and like you say, and, and likewise, there's probably mischievous uh, lower entities that are trying to get in as well and have a little bit of fun too, right? Well, they, they have to be employed in order to create the lower level world. 
We couldn't do it without them. The duality. Yeah. They think they're doing what you've asked them to, even though some days you think you've got to do battle with them. It's like, no, they, they think they're working to a set of orders. Mm. From a higher level, it looks like they've been given unconditional love plus some suggestions to create weird illusions. And they take that as a kind of instruction, which they'll then dutifully generate for you until from a higher level they get a different instruction. And that's the whole point of free will. If you're trying to do it from a low level, it's the beings who are under instruction, perhaps trying to create some more instructions, but they're not very easy for them on their own. It's much easier when you're connecting to what you really are and you're bringing in that higher unconditional love energy, which is what inspires the lower spirit forms to do whatever they do. That's wonderful. That's a wonderful uh, note to, to end on. So um, is there anything that you want to, tell the audience about you know where you can buy your books and things like that do you have any messages oh, you want to close I back to the practicalities for what you do yeah so uh you will find uh, i'm to be found on the internet at the website called great simulator.com g-r-e-a-t-s-i-m-u-l-a-t-o-r.com and if people go there uh, they'll find a few pictures of me looking a little bit younger <laughs> looking at the looking at david not i or me <laughs> <laughs> looking at the david vessel looking at the younger because you're across across a multitude yeah. of ages and what we do there yeah you'll find the books we've got so we've got at this point in linear time uh we've got a few great simulator books uh, and why it's called Great Simulator, just trying to explain to you how this is an illusion that's been generated and it takes it from the very basic levels and then gives you a whole pile of instructions and insights in how to see these things for yourself. And these books are also written in ways that you can read them in a linear fashion, but also you can pick them up again and open up any page and it'll feel like it's talking to you. It'll feel like it's interactive. So we've got that. And then, uh, for anyone who's old enough to remember what the yellow pages look like, remember the old days, you could telephone directory. <laughs> and in it, before you did Google search or something, businesses and offers and advertising, we've got a book called A Brief Encyclopedia of Real Alien Worlds. Now, real in as far as all worlds are illusory, uh, but they're real enough when you get there. And in that, we have some addresses of other worlds you might like to visit, a snapshot of what some different beings are like. And it's a bit like that portal up was the Peruvian mountain, if I've got the story correct. Uh, it's a bit like a sort of portal of a book. So you can order it online. It'll be printed up by Amazon. And this little portable portal will arrive in your home. And when you open the page and start reading into it, you'll find it lacked as a portal. And it can help pull you in, perhaps not enormously dramatically, but yes, it will pull you in to other worlds where some other people want to say hello. And then you can discover for yourself what it's like to visit in most cases more advanced worlds and see how the other half live and get along wow well I, I'm, I'm, so, i've got that book and i've been reading it so i'm going to i'm going to try that experiment by opening the page and see and see where it takes yeah. me you know, I do Once that you realise how it yeah. works, you know yeah. it's like understanding how a mobile phone works, or for mm. Americans say cell phone. Once you understand how these devices work, you realise say communication tools, yeah. and they'll pull you through. Brilliant. 
Well, fascinating uh, video again, David. Really, really enjoyed that. And I hope our listeners did too. And um, uh, yeah, thank you again. Okay. It's been a pleasure working. And thanks again uh, for wonderful Ian being that's there sharing this throughout the world. It's teamwork. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye.